Hi, my name is David Siegler, and welcome to my podcast. Well, let me tell the people who you are. I am sitting with an ultimate property professional, um, somebody who I met all in my early days. Perhaps we'll touch on that, and um, but. You know, I've got massive regard and respect for for this wonderful lady and her property business. Um, Team PSB Property Sourcing Profiteers out there, put your hands together for the wonderful Anne Holton. (laughs) Welcome, Anne. Welcome. Thank you, David. I'm honoured to be here speaking to your <laughs> We'll see how you feel in about 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, but we do go back a little way. I think I'm allowed to say that. I think we should, we should tell our story, David, because it's not unique amongst people who are part of the progressive community, is it? And that people that you meet early in your journey tend to be people that you will work with for many years. Um, and you then, so you lead on, you lead on, tell, tell, tell our friends what happened. it's so much better. We were both multiple streams of property income virgins back in 2014. It was my first progressive event, pretty close to, I think, apart from a National Landlords Association meeting. Have you been to one of those, David? <laughs> I would describe a National Landlords Association meeting to those on the call. So many of us have been to property meetings, you know, property investing meetings like a progressive property events or at the dark side, the pin meetings or independent local meetings. And there you will meet a group of full on, switched on, you know, um, conquering the world, entrepreneurial business types who want to change the world, change the lives of themselves and their families, outsource all the work to somebody else and build a property empire. When you go to a National Landlords Association meeting, which I had been to as a, because at that time I was a landlord, a single let buy to let investor as a landlord, you enter the room. And instead of the headline, um, you know, act, if you like, the, um, the topic that's going to be discussed instead of how to do rent to rents to HMO or a service to accommodation or how to package deals to make a life-changing income within 30 days of, you know, starting as a deal packager, you get topics such as Legionella risk assessment and the Green Deal and the council's views on, you know, where local housing allowance will be come the budget. So you go with your knitting and your thermos because you are going to be very bored and you're in for the long haul. But I actually, those meetings are great for another reason. Once you come to understand how those meetings tick, you will realise that instead of bright young things who are hoping to build a business but maybe don't all have a business, what you'll meet when you go to the NLA meetings is you will meet somebody who is typically something like a landlord who might have a hundred properties and they're not, they're right, they have a business, but what they do is they do everything in the business. So you'll meet them at the NLA meetings with, you know, their pencil behind their ear and their paint sputtered overalls. They've been fixing the boiler. They've been laying some flooring. They've been shifting a fridge freezer. And they may be somebody who has had properties for years and years and years and is of a certain age who frankly is getting a bit fed up with it all. So those are the sort of meetings which I encourage people to go to and I go to myself to meet tired landlords. And what do you think about tired landlords, David? You know, are they they a good resource for us? Well, you see, 
When I first met you, the first day I met you, you used to do all that stuff. You used to do that's the what I'm saying. Things. I'm describing how before I've been to Progressive, that's where I was. I was at that place. You were. And um, I went to my first multiple streams of property income event on the 24th of January, 2014. An ingenue, right? I wandered in innocently. <laughs> I had no idea that I was going to find all these powerful men and women in the room and i remember one of the breaks i went for coffee and um i spied in the corner this really attractive blonde lady um and i thought i need to go and network with her right and it turned out to be you Anne, right yeah when you tell this story normally you qualify it we say this really attractive blonde lady of a certain age it's only because i'm on the podcast everybody listening that he's taken that line out <laughs> well, no, nothing. no I, would, I was all in and um, when I, we got chatting and when I asked you what you do right, you said I'm a dentist I did every mistake it's possible to make in property I've made yeah, what should well, they say everybody should say I'm a property investor they might be a dentist they might be a teacher they might be an engineer they might be an airline pilot they might be somebody who works on a checkout at Tesco's but what they should say first and foremost is I'm a property investor not yeah. I am what else I do yeah you said I'm a dentist you said and um, but I've got a property hobby I've got a few houses and I you know I'd, I'd wandered you know Red Riding Hood like into the trap here and <laughs> And I, I was thinking to myself, oh, bless, she's got a couple of bite to let somewhere in the middle of nowhere, right? And I said to you, oh, how many houses have you got then? You know, and you said something like, can't remember the exact number today, 47, 50, yeah, something like 40, 40 something, yeah. 40 something at the time, right? Um, you're a serious player, you know, albeit as your property hobby. And it was a hobby for you then, right? Um, what I was doing was what many people think they should do. But I was a dentist at the time, married to a GP. And what I decided we would do is because we had some earned income, surplus, well, surplus because I'm very thrifty. We were delaying gratification, saving a war chest. Why I'd elected that we should do with this money is put it into deposits to buy houses. So we very slowly... Uh, I know you've got a lovely story about it bubbling away, bubbling away. I'm sure your listeners have heard the story about how you, you and the present Mrs. Siegler built your portfolio in the early days. Sure. So we did the same thing. We, we saved deposits. We collected houses as capital growth occurred, which it did do. We finally cottoned on that we could take money out and go again. I gradually got to the idea that if I actually refurbished a property, that added value to it and that again forced the appreciation allowed me to carry on but it was without very much conscious thought it was only when i got to progressive i learned the buy refurbish refinance model that the scale was fell from my eyes and i realized you, you don't have to wait and you more or less don't have to save because those are the two things i could use other people's money to buy property or i could take money out of my existing portfolio to buy property i could refurbish it refinance it and pull at that for many years i've been able to pull pretty well all of my money straight back out to go again it's getting more challenging as we know to do that at the moment but you can you don't have to leave a huge amount in the property to have a great return on your capital employed and build a massive portfolio Yes, that's a point, isn't it? Not leaving um, a huge amount in. And we're, go we're going to talk about BRR because as a deal packager, um, I love BRR and my investors love 
BRR buy, refurbish, refinance. Um, but we're not quite there yet because I want to take you a little bit further through the story. So the, the last time I saw you, Anne, face to face, I believe we were in Tenerife. Probably. February, right? I believe. Yeah. Now, we might have met on the stairs afterwards at Progressive when you were doing deal packaging upstairs and I was doing masterclass downstairs. Okay, well, humour me, Han. And um, <laughs> I'm, I'm back in February. <laughs> in okay. okay. And there's a reason I want to share this part of the okay. story. Because uh, we were there on a, on a training, residential training uh, week, which was quite jolly. Uh, but of course, the present Mrs. S did come out for the week. She we she did a she did a bit of uh, some sitting in the sun while we were toiling toiling away in our in our. Yes, we uh, did toil. Yeah, Mrs. Siegler added the glamour the glamour to the event. We were just toiling. Yes, yeah, well, yes, indeed. We just had to go and turn her over every thirty minutes to <laughs> make sure she didn't get too too well done, too crispy on top, you know. Uh, but you know, the last evening we had a bit of a coming out party yes it was there and i remember it's a moment that will stay with me and you and you and the president mrs s were bonding over your i think it was your third bottle of risotto at the dining table right and you were sort of gathered in a huddle the two of you if two people can have a huddle and i knew i was in trouble at that point right so and since then you've been on a bit of an adventure haven't you do you want to share any of the headline details about where you've been since there because you've gone missing a little while didn't you <laughs> so shortly after that on the 2nd of march my husband the long-suffering mr h my husband steve and i went on a seven-week odyssey to new zealand it's our third trip to new zealand and we absolutely love it um and the side to that is that for anybody listening in, once you've got a portfolio, I know we keep banging on about property, but we basically live off our rental income. So we were able, we are able to take a plan seven weeks away from our property business and I can literally run it from my phone or my laptop anywhere in the world. And that is a very, very cool place to be. So that was all good. <laughs> but after we've been in New Zealand for three weeks, we got locked down <laughs> for a further five weeks in a flat together. So we've, we've been locked down for five weeks in New Zealand and only managed to get Blight back to Blighty pretty recently after three sets of flights were cancelled and we've had to rebook and repay for more flights. But we are, we're in fact now home. But one of, the, one of the worries I didn't have was what was going to happen to you know, our portfolio. And I know people are concerned, I just like to say at the moment, if anybody's listening, we are speaking now to this podcast in the midst, in the midst of a lockdown in the UK. Yes, um, yes. Uh, people are being furloughed from work. People, some people have been made redundant. A lot of my um, tenants are and receipt of benefits so as a result of this across my portfolio of around 70 properties i've only got two who have not paid this last two months which i think is pretty oh, amazing I, I think that's amazing what sort of communication have you had with your tenants well, we're just very supportive of them. You know, we are we are letting them know that we are here for them and asking them what their current circumstances are. What I've because for me, it's it's very much. Although I have other people to manage a lot of day to day running of it, 
I make sure that the dealings with people are very personal. We, when people move in, we use the phrase, it's our house, but it's your home. We want people to feel safe and secure in their home. And we recognize that it's a challenging time. So we've been very open with our tenants saying that if you can pay, you must pay. You need to, we need to see, you know, proof that you're not able to pay, i.e., you know, you've, you've been made redundant, you've had a letter saying that you're not, you're not going to be, you're going to have to start to claim universal credit, etc. Um, and if they've been furloughed, when I say they're not paying, these two that are not paying, they will pay. They've told me they will pay, but they're waiting for their furlough payments to come in. Their employer has taken the decision not to pay because probably they don't have the money to pay and they will pay them as soon as the furlough comes in from the government in the next you know, couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, that's starting to come through now. So I famously stand um, in a training room <clears throat> and tell everyone who listen that I don't really like my tenants, that I don't yeah. want any more tenants. <laughs> but I have to say, Anne, I, I might have warmed to them slightly over this last over seven eight weeks. Yeah. So, well, because I've got a similar but slightly different tale to tell. Um, the bottom line is most of my tenants have paid uninterrupted. You know, they've, they've hit the payment dates. We're now in, um, if you're listening to this podcast episode sometime in the future, we are now the first week of May-ish when we're recording this 2020. We try and do evergreen, and We try and keep every um, episode as bright and shiny, you know, as the day it was first recorded. But in this period, I've definitely date stamped some episodes, so I'm very happy to do that. Um, Again, I've got I've got three <laughs> that, that aren't really paying. You know, they're paying, but but they didn't pay when times were good. You know, yes. so um, <laughs> doesn't change his spots, do they? No. Well, there was always going to be an issue with those three, but everyone else, bless them, you know. And we did reach out. Not me, obviously. Uh, the letting agents reached out. I've got commercial tenants. I thought that's going to be a problem because business is stuffed, right? Um, and I actually rang up. <laughs> I've got three commercial tenants. I phoned two. One paid on March quarter day for a quarter. So that was fine. No issues there. Um, I've got two other ones. One never pays, even when times are good. We have to nurse him gently along. So I didn't call him, but I, I called the third one and said, you know, are you all right? What's going on? Have you got a close? Do you want to go to half rent, you know, for three months to see how it goes? Which I thought was... Yeah. perceived as a very generous offer but there was a, a you know i had a motive it was premeditated and on the basis i thought i'd be better off getting 50 percent than nothing that's where i was coming from with that right uh but they said to me no Dave, no we're fine we're open we're trading we've got key stuff you know in the shop they run a sort of a news agent come everything general store thing right i said no no they paid they paid monthly on the button so my my Attitude to tenants has warmed slightly, but, you know, it might be a false errand. So, why are you here, Anne? You are the queen, in my eyes. You are the queen of single let. You're the queen of buy, refurbish, refinance. Uh, my investors today, with the interruption to normal flow of business, are saying to me, they got cash, they want to invest, but they're only interested in single let, buy to let. And I think it's mainly for the reasons that we just outlined. It's an incredibly, it's not sexy. So when we talk about property, yeah, I think the money from single lets 
and the passivity of it or the relative passivity of it is very sexy but you're not doing i'm not doing wondrous commercial conversions into beautiful boutique you know serviced accommodation units or hmo units i'm providing warm safe comfortable homes for families and couples to live in that's that's where my bread and butter stuff is and people always need single let homes to live in it's the lightest touch legislation isn't it it's the it's the easiest route really to security there's there's not a lot of regulation is there so let's let's just do a sentence or two on that what what how are we regulated as buy to let landlords then because we've got people of all different experiences who listen to these this podcast and so some will know and some some won't know so what do you think it has to be a warm, safe, comfortable home, which sounds like a bit of a, that's one of the things that trips up my tongue. But if you think about this, it has to have the correct energy performance certificate grading. So you can't now rent anything in the UK to a tenant that has an uh, energy performance or an EPC certificate with less than an E rating. And that, I have tried then. And? <laughs> 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 well, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit unfortunate because one of the buildings I own, which has got flats above, it's it's construction is such that yeah, even doing everything that's reasonable uh, to it to to bring it up to a decent EPC rating, I'm struggling to get it above G. You know, the EPC man walks in and just sucks his lip and <laughs> just presses the button and it comes out G. You know, um, so actually. Um, actually, if you're really interested, on this particular building, uh, we went to the local authority and they've given us an exemption uh, because of the way the building was in. Yeah, and we've done everything else we could do. You know, we've stuffed rock wall in every crevice, you know, <laughs> as you do. Right. Yeah, I think you've got to demonstrate, haven't you? You've got to demonstrate that it's not possible to upgrade it. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I would say this, these flats have been let quite happily for 30 years, to my personal knowledge. So, you know, nobody's died of cold or damp or whatever. Just didn't tick the box, right? Um, so, EPCs, okay. Yeah. We've got to have... Um, but every yes. property that you purchase in the UK, by law, has to have an EPC. And an EPC lasts for 10 years. So, if you happen to purchase one with a, an EPC of E or greater... You've got that box ticked, but we're going to refurbish the property. And um, what we're going to start with is just to try and do a very light refurb, which probably wouldn't affect the EPC. But if you do anything else to the property, which would improve its energy efficiency, like replacing uh, an old style boiler with a condensing combi boiler, or if you're going to add double glazed windows instead of single glazed windows, or perhaps do some internal or external wall insulation or loft insulation, that's going to improve the EPC. And the government would like to tell you and David will probably agree with me that tenants look at the EPCs and stress over them, but in reality, no. I don't think <laughs> they're the slightest bit interested in it. <laughs> Let's just look at the kitchen and the bathroom. I, do, I like those adjustable knobs on the radiators. You can pick up a yes. few EPC points for them. You bad. can, and low energy light bulbs in over oh, 60% of the I'm light. In. I'm all in. in. Low energy, yeah. <laughs> Still only came out of G now, after all that. But of um, course, you want the rent to be affordable, don't you? So if if the energy bills are lower the tenants got more money in their back pocket to ensure that they pay you the great rent every month so and everybody likes a warm home now i'm pretty no, nice no. tenants on like pay up front meter type thing yeah you they are no some of them are some of them aren't you know yeah, some of them are. 
I always feel bad about that. It costs a lot more, but they well, they often won't change it. They like those. You know, yeah, they yeah. can't. It's budget-driven, isn't it? It's budget-driven, and also the energy companies. I, I sometimes hand over a, a property to a to a tenant, you know, and six years later I get it back or whatever, because my tenancies tend to be quite long. And what was a, an ordinary meter has been changed to a key meter, either because the tenants requested it or because they've got into financial difficulty and the company's just yeah. basically come in and put one in. Yeah. So yeah. that can happen. Yeah, I've had that. Um, so, um, electricity, things are changing. So EPC, so we now have have an energy, uh, E-I-C-R, energy installation, uh, electrical installation condition report. I, so, I didn't know better. I think you were reading that for a second. <laughs> I've just written it down because I always get the, I've written it down and read it back to myself, Dave, because I want to make sure that I've got the, the letters in the right place. It's E-I-C-R, electrical oh. installation. Tell us some more. Tell us some more. Fount of wisdom. Has to be done every five years. Has to show that the electrical installation is satisfactory. Um, that's a recent thing. It's only from this April that we've had to have that now. Um, previously, I did it because I didn't want anybody burning down in any one of my properties because I'm, you know, like that. But it wasn't a legal requirement. But now, from the first of April, we will need an EICR, which will need to be updated every five years. So the EPCs every ten years cost about forty-five quid. The EICR varies from a hundred to one hundred and fifty pounds, depending on where you are in the UK, and that's once every five years. So, in terms so of just on the electrical thing, right? Yeah. The I'm talking about my home now, my residential home, right, yeah. where I've lived a long time, right? Yes. On, the night of, on the night of lockdown, <laughs> suddenly the lighting sort of picked up another, like, megawatt of power. Suddenly I, I was reaching <laughs> for my sunglasses. Then it went <laughs> dark, right? Then there was a buzzing noise. Then it came on again. Then everything went out, right? Okay. And I've been sitting, this was the night of lockdown, and you, I couldn't call an electrician out. So half my house, right, the lighting's been out for seven weeks. Thank heavens it's been going into spring. And the night the clocks went forward, I could actually see my dinner, and it was, it was life-changing for me. <laughs> we've been sitting in the dark, because you can't get an electrician, can you, at no. the moment? No. Maybe that will change soon. Anyway, distractions, right. But what one of my tenant, if one of my tenants, David, had half their house in darkness, I would have had to send an electrician out. That's an essential service. The fact that you live in a mansion, you can deal with half the house. He's not... <laughs> Many times, uh, Mrs. S has sent me off to the West Wing and to men <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just I don't know anyone here. See, if I lived where my um, rental properties were, like in Manchester or along the South Coast, um, <clears throat> it would have been so much easier because I've got people I can go to. But I don't know any electricians in Brighton. I mean, I mean I'm going to have to find one. And I'm not asking you for recommendation, and I'm not even sure why I went down this road, except to say that, uh, yes, from one of my tenants, I've had to do it, right? Yes. But Mrs. S doesn't want anyone in unless they're, you know, because we, we're, in that, we're yeah. in that category now, you know. Yeah. We're, we're getting older. Yeah. <laughs> you might not get I have obesity knocking on my door. You know? <laughs> you <don't. laughs> I might not make it in. They carry oh, me in. Dave, let's move on. <laughs> Gas anyway. safety certificates. <laughs> yes, let's do gas safety. Okay. So, 
just to recap, because I think we are we are definitely rambling and everybody's trying to get piece together. You need your EPC for 10 years. You need your EICR, Electrical Installation Condition Report, and you need a gas safety check, which is done annually. You also, for rentals, need a, and who knows why, you need a Legionella risk assessment. Right. Well, that's what most, that it's contentious. There is some dissension on the internet about whether it's actually required, but any letting agent worth their salt nowadays is going to insist that you have a Legionella risk assessment carried out. And the guidelines on how often that needs to be done, again, are very sketchy. But I would say certainly at a change of tenancy, you would need to do, to do a Legionella risk assessment. And really, for single lets, that's kind of that's kind of it, which is very different to the kind of HMO model. Now, you'll be better at HMOs, David. There's a whole raft of extra stuff that you need to comply yeah. with. <clears throat> I, I, I'm not going to deep dive into it here because I've done it in other episodes. But in my view... HMOs are the most heavily regulated part of the property sector. Um, I mean, you just can't, you can't, look, window restrictors, Anne. Window restrictors yes. on the first floor, right? So I, I get it, you know, you don't want people falling out of windows of HMOs, you know, but, but it's all right for the family in the rental property next door in a single lair. They can fall out the window because they don't have window restrictors and they don't need window restrictors. So it's all a bit of a puzzle um, I did have a baby fall out of a first floor window of one of my properties once. Was he all right? Yeah, he was caught on the, um, there was sort of a, what do you call it? Just above the ground. Um, <laughs> just above the ground. No, <laughs> a first floor level. There was sort of a canopy, a canopy. Oh, yes. Yeah, he bounced off the canopy. He was fine. Oh. Yeah. It was fine. No, it was a bit scary. I'm making light of it, but it's not really what you want. No, in terms of, you, you raised the point about windows. Your windows, if you are doing a refurb, you want to make sure that the windows do open, because on some older properties, David will bear me out on this, certain windows just don't open and need to open. There needs to be uh, a means to escape. So the windows probably need to be updated so that they people can get out. But you yep. don't have the window restrictions on them like you do on a HMO. So, so basically... Me wearing my deal packaging hat. Yeah. You wearing your BRR hat. Yeah. Um, especially in the current climate, it's crystallised it to me. When investors say to me, I don't want to take on projects, I don't want to do big builds, I don't want to take on speculative stuff because we're not quite sure where the market's going, but bring me a nice solid three-bed single let, um you know, in a, an area that's not socially troubled, right? So you get decent quality tenants, working tenants, right? Um, what sort of returns are they looking for, and What do you think? What's, what would you look at in terms of a single let today? Well, it very much depends on where you are geographically in the country, and it raises the spectre of are we going for a yield, cash flow, or are we going for capital growth, or are we going for a combination of the both? And what I really, really favour is a combination of both. And you can't guarantee it because none of us can guarantee capital growth. But for me, across my whole portfolio, and I started investing in 2001, I can hand on heart say I have made, even in the Midlands where I'm based, more money through capital growth than I ever have through rental income. So I think capital growth is, is often overlooked in the way that it's spoken about or glossed over because it would be 
It would be the wrong thing to promise anybody that capital growth will occur. Therefore, because it's not a given, you can't teach it to somebody. But what I try to, when I'm training people, I try to say, let's just think about, is there a possibility for capital growth? And the metrics I use for that are, is it an area where it's in demand, where it's a desirable area to live? Has it historically had good capital growth? Or is it an area where there's going to be a huge amount of regeneration? So it's future, future, if you like, capital growth. If you've got an area that's got a huge amount of investment coming into the area, government money can't pouring in, that would be a really great place to go. As long as it was achieving a yield, I don't know. What could you say? If it, even if it washed its face, if you had other sources of income. If somebody said to me, Anne, you can buy a property in London, yeah, at the moment where prices have you know, taken a bit of a battering and it's going to grow shield 4 or 5%. I would be all over that because it would very much pay for itself in terms of cover, probably covering the mortgage. And I would be certain, I was pretty certain as I'm ever going to be, I'm going to get great capital growth through that. I would be more reluctant. I am much more reluctant to invest in somewhere. I'm not going to name places, but there are places north where you can get, because I don't want to tar any, anywhere with a brush, where you could maybe get a growth shield of 14, 16, 18%, where there's going to be capital growth maybe in the next millennia it's, it's not going to happen anytime soon so and because i think there's more money to be made long term through capital growth that's where i kind of sit yeah I, I i agree with that um i i i love capital capital growth um i didn't know what i was doing when i first got into property but the stuff i bought in the south of england and it's not about me it's about being in the south of england um has doubled in value and doubled and doubled again over a period of time Right, that's, good. that's a significant uplift. I understand the zeros that I'm adding. Um, that is what's kept me financially upright and perpendicular during difficult times, the capital growth in my property portfolio. Now, I did go north. I went to the northwest. As you well know, Anne, you came and yes. you took Tiffin one afternoon in a couple of <laughs> garden centres, I recall, somewhere near Oldham. Um, I went north and, and I invested there. And, and truth to tell, right, um, the, the capital values were just recovering really to 2007 level. So, so they went up 2004, 5, 6, 7, then they went down, right? And there was a dark period. And then 2018, 2019, we were just, just maybe getting out ahead again, right? And now, where are we today? I don't really know. Um, so, from that point of view, it's been disappointing. They have cash flowed. I can't, you know, hand on heart. Um, the money comes in every month. I know what my outgoings are and, and what the rent roll should be as long as, you know, they all pay, including the little fellow that never pays. Um, who knew that interest rates were going to be at half a percent? Yeah. What are they today? A quarter of a percent? I don't even know what they are. Point one. Well, point one. Yeah, I keep getting letters from various mortgage lenders. So they have cash flow. It's undeniably. But I did like what you said a little bit earlier, a few minutes ago, where you said you've got more from your portfolio in the Midlands, and absolutely, I agree that you should, in capital growth than you have from rental income. And it's a, it's a moot point, isn't it? So um, you can understand why people would buy single lets today, because yeah. 
when for all the reasons it's safe people are going to pay the rent it's got very light touch legislation if you buy decent houses in reasonable areas there is going to be some capital growth now the other thing about capital growth is it's another safety net or everybody listening in knows because david's trained them really well that you must always buy for if you're buying i know you package deals but your investors must buy for cash flow there must be money at the end of each month to keep them afloat to pay for boilers to keep them keep them safe but the other factor that may come into play for all of us moving forwards and we're talking timelessly now because of coronavirus is if property values start to tumble when we as we start to move out of lockdown and the market gets going again if you've had a decent amount of capital growth, you've still got a safe product. The mortgage company are not going to look at it and say, now, 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 your loan to value is not enough. We're going to start taking these properties back. Mm -hmm. So I think for your uh, listeners, if they're going to package deals onto people, that's another angle they can lose, use mm -hmm. to say to the investor, there's a potential, we can't promise it, but if there is a capital growth that we expect there to be, you know, you're going to build in a bigger safety buffer and your loan to value relative to what you borrow is, is, is going to be a safe place that so the bank is not going to be calling that in. And the, I think that's absolutely right. And the other factor that we have to talk, we just have to consider. So as a packager, I meet investors with cash, right? Because there's a lot of cash out there, team. I mean, I keep telling you and, and they don't believe me, but there is a lot of cash out there in the world, right? Um, and we, for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years now, have been trying to package deals in the market, which has really slowly been recovering. I mean, parts of the UK and London, 2012 to 2015, 16, there was a significant uplift, right? But for most of the UK, it's been a pretty slow and gradual recovery over that period. Now we're staring in the face of possibility of packaging into a downturn. And that is really exciting. Because yeah. we're going to be able to, um, obviously, it's got to be a win-win-win. I get that. But some people win more than others, right? Um, the investors with cash are going to be able to pick up properties at a much lower value. And we, who knows how much lower? But a much lower value in the next six, nine months than they could have done two years ago. And yeah. I'm not a real packager, but there's something else that I've, always thought is the truth the truth particularly if you get a downturn market i don't have your packages feel about this but if you could get a property um i'm always talking i'm always wanting with my properties to buy them refurbish refinance to to generate cash but if you can get a property that's maybe already tenanted with a great tenant that's got a great covenant if you like in terms of you can actually see you can get from the tenants you know, years worth of bank statements which show that the rent has gone out every month to the landlord or the letting agent, in which case they are paying the rent. The property's in great condition inside. The landlord just wants out because they're worried about Section 24, which I'm sure you've spoken about, David, or other issues. They're just tired and fed up. Then if it's, if it's a property that's at a great price, you might not even need to do a refer because the fact you're buying it at a discount from where it was two, three months ago, will mean that you're already locking in that money that you would have had to generate by doing a refurb. It's a win-win. Yeah, my dad always used to say to me, <clears throat> God rest his soul, uh, you bought, you, you, your profit is when you bought in, right? That's when you earn your money. Uh, the, the rest of it is market-driven going forward. But if you can and buy re a Refurb refinance works really brilliantly in a rising market. Um, it still works in a 
footballing market. It works in any market, doesn't it? If you're adding value... Um, You've got to be able to get the revaluation at the end. As the mar- yes. if the market falls yes. during your refurb, if you can do a refurb, which we all should be able to do, because you want to do a light refurb in a month, that's not going to make any difference. You can work out your values. I wouldn't be now taking on bigger refurb projects that might take six months, because the market might be very different. And that's exactly what I'm hearing from my investor. Exactly what I'm hearing, and that's why. Um, they're happy right. to buy good, solid three-bed family homes. That's that's my that's my brief. That's what I've been told to go and find. And, um, well, you know, if I could find enough of them, I could sell them now today. Because <clears throat> yes. a lot of my investors are cash, and they'll refinance when and as the finance is available. Uh, but they know that they're going to pick up something really, really cool at a good price, and then when vendors expectations have caught up with the rest of us so you know where am i i don't think it's now go on do you think it's now i don't think i don't think it's necessarily now in any market there's always somebody that needs to sell and needs to sell quickly yeah but the real pain is going to be two three four months down the line because at the moment it's too soon to tell and vendors aren't are still holding on to the pre-COVID value and they're not necessarily feeling the pain en masse. Some will be, but not en masse. Yeah, I agree. And so, you know, I, I, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a much older than you are, right? And I'm in my fifth property cycle now. <laughs> and it's undeniable yeah. that I've seen this before, right? So I, I, I believe property prices are going to take a dip. Uh, I'm not going to put a number on it. Um, and what's happened today, if we go into the market today, the people like you and I, right, people with property education know that this is coming, right, and we're, my investors know it's coming, right, so they've, they've got their war chest of cash together, which they might have been putting together waiting for the next drop because right, um, yes. everyone knew or seemed to know that a drop was coming and didn't know when or what was going to trigger it. I don't think anyone expected uh, what is actually triggered it and what's actually happened. I mean, it's just unthinkable. They thought Brexit might have done it, but actually Brexit didn't really affect the market at all. Um, no. So the, the market's going to dip. We, you and I know that. My investors know that. Um, the estate agents know that. They do. Um, what hasn't caught up yet is the vendor expectations. They believe there's going to be a, a quick V-shaped recovery, right? And there may. I don't know. I'm suspecting they won't but they're looking at v-shape you know and by this time next year we'll all be millionaires that sort of thing and i i, I don't i don't think that's how it's gonna gonna roll so for you then let's talk about you for the last few minutes and thank you so much for giving up your time i really appreciate that so, so where, where are you going professionally you know in the next six 12 months what 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 are you looking at is it property i mean you do a lot of training now anyone that is fortunate enough to sit in the room with ann holton for two three days being trained by her yeah you should grab every opportunity to do it um obviously the business you know the training world's been interrupted as well but is that something that you're going to do a bit more of going forward yeah, I'm still going to be hopefully working with Progressive Property uh, when they get back up to running live events. I'm also writing an online buy, refurbish, refinance course, which hopefully will be launched soon, um, which will cover all aspects of 
building a business around the buyer refurbished refinance model, which I, which is key. In fact, what we should say is we, t- we talked a lot about single lets because that's what I do, but buyer refurbished refinance is the cornerstone really of all property, isn't it? Everything that you do in property, whether you're going to, you can buy a property, uh, refurbish it to service accommodation, you can buy a property, refurbish it to a HMO, buy a property, refurbish it to a, convert it with a commercial conversion. It's all, it's just bigger numbers, but it's the same principle throughout. Yeah, there's a great um, YouTube uh, interview with between Mark Homer and Andreas Panayotu, where he's a massive buy-to-let landlord, mm. or was, and his mantra is never, ever, ever buy an investment property you can't add value to. So it's the basic tenets of, tenets of what you do in property. Yes, I was very fortunate. I was um, I sat one-to-one with Mark Homer quite recently, and um, I had occasion to ask him this question. What, what exactly do you do now, Mark? What do you do? Because you've got all these big projects running and you're, you know, you're tearing the heart out of the centre of Peterborough and building hundreds of apartments and, and you know, big commercial to resi stuff. And, it, you know, it's fantastic, right? But how do you describe what you do now? And he, he paused for a second and he said, um, it's all by refurb, refi. Now, it might be on a different level, okay, yeah. and, the, and the actual um, physical manifestation in terms of the properties that we, we've got at the end, you know, might not in your head resonate with BRR, but basically we're buying property, we're adding value, and then we're refinancing at the end to try and get as much of our money back out again as we can. So I thought that was really interesting. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Um, I really appreciate uh, the fact that you've found the time to spend with us today. Um, Team PSP out there in property sourcing land, go out and find us some single lets. Good, solid family homes that yield. um, It depends where you are in the country, but try and get up towards double digits. You're only going to find them in the north. If you're working in the south of England, it doesn't matter if you're only finding 5 6%, so long as you can show a history and a projection of capital growth because that's where investors get really, really wealthy. And if you can use your education, uh, if you can leverage that so that you can apply what we learn to increase the income initially so that the cost of ownership are met from the project itself. So we might be talking H multi-let, we might be talking service accommodation, but at some point it will return to a family home once capital growth is kicked in. Is that a fair summary, Anne? What do you think? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, Property sourcing properties. I'll see you very soon. We're going to sell all of them. It's going to be great. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.